but it was her that got the federal scrutiny on me. Uh, then they saw that I was uh, a vocal individual involved in Bitcoin education. Been, I didn't try to hide who I was. I did business under the name Dr. Bitcoin on, on the local Bitcoin and Paxful uh, yeah. boards. And, uh, you know, it was easy for them to construct a case. Uh, I mean, this is the short version of the, of, of the yeah, story. Of but it was easy for them to construct a case against me because I didn't hide the fact that I was selling Bitcoin. And uh, I was uh, ignorant of the fact that I needed to federally register uh, because mm -hmm. of conversations I had had with state regulators that, to the contrary. Last year on my Twitter feed, I noticed a prominent crypto person make a thread about how he was unfortunately going to prison for a short period of time. And that piqued my interest. And so... I looked into the Risen or Dr. Bitcoin case of a simple long-term crypto user since the early days who had done some basic peer-to-peer -peer cash for crypto trades over the last few years and for some reason ended up actually serving prison time for this. And so while he was still in prison, I communicated with him through this Twitter account and uh, arranged to basically chat with him once he was out. And now, thankfully, he's out. And so here's the conversation I had with him on his specific case, on crypto regulations and crackdowns, and on kind of where the U.S. justice and regulatory system fits into this new world of crypto dominance. And more importantly, do crypto people have to be scared right now? So, hey, everyone, I have the fantastic pleasure of speaking with the one and only Mark Risen Hopkins, also known as Dr. Bitcoin. How's it going, man? It's going pretty good. How about you? It's going pretty great. I mean, I've been a been kind of investigating this whole um, scene of crypto and its interface with the, I guess, unfortunately, the regulatory system over the last few years, and especially because I'm... Uh, personal friends with uh, Ian Freeman, who's going through some of his own things out mm -hmm. in Keene, New Hampshire. It's so it's kind of a a near and dear issue. And just randomly on Twitter one day, I noticed your your tweet thread about um, going away for a while. And I thought, wow, this is you know, it it also d did not strike me as a troublemaker or a criminal or in any way kind of a way, and. That I kind of paid attention from that point on. I just knew I had to get your whole story on this whole thing. And so I guess that's what we're here for. So first, would you mind uh, kind of introducing yourself and giving your quick background on how you got into the crypto world? Yeah, for sure. Uh, so uh, like you said, people call me Dr. Bitcoin. That's because I produce and uh, record a, a series of, of uh help with blockchain and Bitcoin videos. I've It started out as a column back when I was the uh, founding editor for Silicon Angle, which is a pretty well-known uh, in the space enterprise technology publication. Hmm. So for most of my career, I've been a, a tech journalist. Uh, I've done other stuff as well, uh, but I came across Bitcoin in 2011 uh, when I was a, a tech journalist over at, uh, over at Silicon Angle in the Cube. And uh, it was a, ironically a buddy of mine that was a VP at uh, Bank of America, uh, but we were mm. childhood friends. And he's just, hey man, you heard this Bitcoin thing? And uh, we were hanging out at a coffee shop late at night. And he's like, well, I'll tell you what, you know, I, I've got a bunch that I've mined 
uh, on my computer. How about you pay for dinner and I pay for my half of, uh, yeah. of dinner with uh, with the bitcoins and you have some to play with? And I was like, okay, sure. So um, that's that was my that was my introduction to Bitcoin. Uh, I've been uh, it took me a couple of weeks to really kind of wrap my brain around it not being I, I couldn't get why it was you know legit or or mm -hmm. interesting or good for a couple of weeks but i kept playing with it and after that it's been an endless rabbit hole as it is for so many people uh yeah since then yeah it's kind of interesting because that was sort of my introduction was also um someone paying me back for a meal this time it was pizza and that was 2013 so it came a couple of years later yeah uh, but yeah it's kind of that's what gets still me an early year yeah. yeah yeah so you got into it interested and kind of what did you do in the space from like 2011 up until 20, I guess, 21 or two? Well, I mean, as you know, from those early years, mm -hmm. like you, there wasn't really Coinbase and Cash App and Bitcoin ATMs everywhere. Um, so mm -hmm. if you wanted Bitcoin and you didn't mine it, uh, you needed to find other people to buy it and sell it with. Uh, and so local Bitcoins and Craigslist were the places where you mostly did that. And so I've been selling and buying Bitcoin, uh, you know, peer to peer since those days, mostly as a way to, to kind of as a journalist, understand who Bitcoiners are and how that's changing over the years. Um, uh, so in 2016, uh, me and a bunch of the guys from Silicon Angle, we broke away. We started our own agency and some independent media organizations. And so we, we founded that in Dallas. Um, and so part of our business became selling Bitcoin and part of it became servicing Bitcoin and blockchain companies during that kind of ICO boom cycle that occurred from like 2016, 17, 18, 19. Um, and so, uh, it was it became a little bit more business oriented than it was hobbyist at that point mm -hmm. um and then uh in 2019 we sold that company uh it was aqua hired by a, a blockchain ico company that promptly went out of business <laughs> uh and so a lot of the uh job security we thought we had went out at the window right before the pandemic and so i kind of turned to personally selling bitcoin to you know, not try to dig into my stack and make some money while I figure out what my next entrepreneurial move was going to be. Um, one of those hundreds of customers that I had accrued during that period of time from 2016 to basically 2020 um, was a, a woman who is, her information is now public now. Her name was Mildred Hoy, a uh, 50-something-year-old woman from Pennsylvania who represented herself to me as somebody who was trying to sell uh, or just trying to buy Bitcoin uh, for her husband's electronics business because they mm. bought electronic parts for computer repair and phone repair from China. And yeah. I know from personal experience and maybe a lot of people watching this do as well, uh, international wire transfers are a great way to get additional scrutiny on your bank account and possibly shut down. So, that's a story that hung together. She gave me her ID. She told me all this background about her information, you know, about the company and her, her family and all this stuff. So I had no reason to suspect her story was a lie. But it turned out, you know, uh, that uh, she was a money mule for a Nigerian lottery scam. Mm. Um, and she claimed that she was being catfished. Um, it, 
that's a plausible story. I, I don't have any reason why to doubt that. But when she put together her plea deal, that was what was in the paperwork. She was being catfished. Okay. Um, and uh, the, uh, um, uh, the truth of the matter ended up being that she used my Bitcoin selling services to launder about a half a million dollars worth of Bitcoin or half a million dollars worth of ill-gotten gains in, into Bitcoin. Um, but like I said, I had hundreds of, you know, at least a couple hundred other clients. Most of them mm -hmm. are hedge funds and lawyers and family offices and individuals and friends and family and stuff like that. So we're talking one individual out of a book of business. Um, but it was her that got the federal scrutiny on me. Uh, then they saw that I was uh, a vocal individual involved in Bitcoin education. Been, I didn't try to hide who I was. I did business under the name Dr. Bitcoin on, on the local Bitcoin and Paxful uh, yeah. boards. And, uh, you know, it was easy for them to construct a case. Uh, I mean, this is the short version of the, of, of the yeah, story. Of but it was easy for them to construct a case against me because I didn't hide the fact that I was selling Bitcoin. And uh, I was uh, ignorant of the fact that I needed to federally register uh, because mm. of conversations I'd had with state regulators that, to the contrary. Yeah. And so uh, what were the actual charges brought forth? The actual charges were a uh, violation of 18 U.S.C. 1960, which is operation of an unlicensed money transmitter business. Um, in 2019, I want to say it was like May or April of 2019. If you if you Google the Bitcoin Magazine article, they've got it all laid out nicely. Uh, that the the one that they a guy Malone wrote about me. Um, but uh, it's a, a a regulatory memo written by the somebody at FinCEN that said anything that is a digital virtual convertible currency uh, must be regulated by. Uh, uh, must be regulated by FinCEN, must require a, a money transmitter license. Nowhere in that document does it say Bitcoin. If you Google Bitcoin license with FinCEN, it comes up with no results. Uh, it's, uh, and if you talk to state regulators, which is generally who uh, licenses money transmitters, they won't refer you to the feds for this either. Uh, mm -hmm. They just say, oh, we don't license Bitcoin, tra Bitcoin transactors. Uh, don't worry about it. Unless yeah, you're in New York. Of course. Yeah, yeah. And it's as a federal thing, that's got to be a little bit confusing. And for example, where I live in New Hampshire, there's a explicit law on the books that says that cryptocurrency businesses are exempt from money transmitter requirements, which sounds good. But at the same time, I'm not exactly sure if the feds are going to buy that either. Like just because the state says you don't have to do this, maybe the feds disagree. I mean, here's something I can talk about that I couldn't talk about in my interviews before I went in uh, as clearly as I can now. Um, but the uh, one of the meetings that I had uh, as I was trying to negotiate my plea deal, because um, I did get compliant in between the raid on my house, uh, which was in October of, of that, that year, uh, 2021, uh, or is it twenty? And then uh, the in between the raid and the, the delivery of the target letter, mm -hmm. which was in December of that same year, I went out and I hired a compliance lawyer and I got compliant at every level in Pennsylvania, Texas, and at the feds at the federal level. And uh, I 
for you know reasons not important to get into i inquired with the federal agent and the u.s attorney on the case like look i have filled out this paperwork you know i should be compliant to do business again mm-hmm. uh because i've i've now like I've, I've 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 done all the hoops that you guys want me to join in so i can at least continue my business while we figure out whether or not i'm going to take a plea deal or you're going to give me a fine or whatever the deal is and they're like no it is the opinion of the federal government that you're not compliant Meaning, and they wouldn't get specific, but the implication was because I didn't have a state-issued license, the federal government still did not consider me compliant, even though I had federally registered as a money transmitter. Of course, the catch-22 is the state of Texas will not issue a money transmitter license because Bitcoiners that don't do, I think it's over $5 million worth of transactions, don't even register at the level that need to have a, a, a license. Yeah. And... Only if you're operating a bi-directional ATM network will even consider it. Yeah, so it seems like at that point, because they didn't like you, <laughs> it seems like they decided to then block off your ability to legally do business. Right. Well, but the 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 the, the I mean, there's two ways to look at this, and uh, without getting into a ton of detail, my time in prison has 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 given me both perspectives the one way to look at it is you know i was too loud about my activities i went around calling myself dr bitcoin and i gave some AUSA guy uh a a layup in terms of a career advancement case because they actually titled the case against me usa versus dr bitcoin Mm -hmm. Uh, and that was what they put in the press release and all this other garbage the other way to look at it is uh that it's just kind of uh this is how the system works uh, there were two types of people in, in the camp with me uh, in Beaumont. There were people that took plea deals like I did and were probably serving five years or less on whatever it was that they were in trouble for. And then there were people that were there serving 10 to 20 years on nonviolent crimes, often white collar because they said, no, I'm innocent. This is ridiculous. You guys are getting me on a technicality. They tried to fight their case. But the thing is, the feds don't lose when you go to trial. They simply mm-hmm. don't lose. And so, and and they will ratchet up the charges and add new things to it if you decide to go to trial. And so that's how you end up serving 25 years on what should have been like a, a six-month or a 12-month case. And there was numerous examples of people there in the camp with me when, in that situation. So the 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 second way of looking at it is like they were going to get me for something because that's how the feds operate yeah i mean it seems like this sort of opens a much greater you know potentially many hours long if not days long conversation about all the issues with the justice system in the u.s uh, which i'm sure you know a lot of people have kind of gone over ad nauseum but uh from my understanding in you know obviously maybe playing a little little dumb on this for the purposes of the you know of educating the audience but selling crypto peer-to-peer for cash is not a crime correct there's no you don't need a license to just like if i got hundred dollars worth of bitcoin someone says hey i want to play around with that and then they want to just like a friend he gives me a hundred bucks I give him that. strictly speaking it is a crime yes. Strictly speaking, transacting $5 for cash of crypto is a crime in the eyes of the feds. If To hear the agent who spoke to me about it, to hear the, the, the mm. AUSA who prosecuted me, um, I was a, a bad guy because I transacted. 
they they literally sat me down and said, "We know everybody you trans with transact with has got to be a scumbag. We want to know about everybody you do business with because everybody in your book of business is probably doing bad things, and we want to take them down." They they simply have the view that crypto users are criminals. Yeah. So now that's where the hair split is. So they think that crypto users are criminals. Absolutely. But as far as like the law is concerned, if you do a pure a pure, like let's say a one off peer to peer transaction, because there's been local bitcoins, not anymore. Obviously, there's been wall of coins was a thing. There's been mm -hmm. you know packs. Well, there've been so many of these things operating out in the open with individuals trading, and almost none of them even get get targeted. Doesn't it seems like it's a very um, it seems like it's very it seems like it's a very legal thing to do to just on a very peer-to-peer -peer basis just trade a small amount of cryptocurrency for cash to just a friend or someone do not confuse uh have not been prosecuted with something that is legal mm. there's a lot of people that buy weed every single day and yeah. smoke smoke personal use amounts every single day but that is a federal crime every time it's done just because it is uh, generally accepted in the state that you live in which is most states at this point does not make it not a federal crime and anyone who has any amount of weed can go to a federal prison for any amount of time the feds choose to put them there for so uh, this is the same exact situation that we find ourselves in with cryptocurrency Anybody transacting any amount of cryptocurrency at any level is committing a federal crime. It's the feds that choose not to go after them most of the time. Mm. So it's not just a, are you operating a business out of this? Is there a certain volume thing? That kind of stuff just gets their attention, right? But the whole Correct. thing is, is illegal, according to them. In, in, their, in their strict interpretation of that guidance memo, um, uh, which I can give you the link as soon as we're off the air. I'll give you the link mm -hmm. to that. You can review it and make your own determination. But the strict interpretation of that is that every, any peer-to-peer -peer transactions that involve cash, dollar bills, it, mm -hmm. it's illegal to do it without one party, the selling party, the, the party that's selling Bitcoin, registering as a money transmitter. Mm. Yeah, that's, a, that's pretty insane of a requirement. So uh, on the overall kind of view of this, right? Uh, it seems like, first of all, this is almost no one doing this. Almost everyone, if I if I could say, maybe everyone, every single person in the U.S. who is a cannabis user or has been over the many years knew it was illegal, right? Just mm -hmm. knew it was illegal, but there was a, you know, well, everyone does it, so it's okay. But just don't let the cops catch you kind of thing. Right. With transacting cryptocurrency peer-to-peer, for cash, just like a very basic kind of thing. Uh, that is something that I have a feeling that the vast majority, if not 99.95%, believe it is perfectly legal and have no idea of anything like that. Do you think that's right. kind of a fair assessment? I would say that's a fair assessment. That's what most people are going to say they believe or, or, or would, would agree with you on that. Yeah. Yeah. So, in a certain way, I guess is your message to people that just be be very careful what you're doing now because this could turn very different i mean i've got i think i've got multiple messages for people the number one message i have like beyond a shadow of a doubt and i think you you retweeted it or liked it or whatever it's mm -hmm. there's a specific 
bill that's being introduced that would at least close the loophole on ordinary transactions, uh, which is if, if there is no custody of, of uh, Bitcoin or uh, sorry, of, of customer funds, custody of customer funds of any kind happening in a crypto transaction, they the federal it would close the loophole and say federal law does not require a money transmitter license in any in any circumstance. It's called the DeFi Regulatory Certainty Act. Yeah. Uh, I think that's a Tom Emmer bill, but don't quote me on that. It's in uh, we can I can give you that we can dig up that link after the after we get done talking. That's like number one in my in my mind. We need to if it's not this bill, we need to close this loophole. It's an insane loophole that allows the DOJ way too much latitude to arbitrarily and capriciously enforce the law. Uh, the second thing, yes, is awareness. Um, Montana, Texas, even California, and certain East Coast, like Delaware, these are all states that are literally manufacturing felons by attracting blockchain and crypto businesses to their, to their state by trying to open up the laws and say, okay, you can come here and be a crypto business and we'll give you tax benefits or, or, you know, mining, you know, energy rate discounts or whatever. I love that. Keep doing that at the state level. But for the love of God, please, these state regulators and these state legislatures need to include an education piece in that, that we need to inform these large scale businesses that can't hide their identity, that can't hide behind anonymity and pseudonymity, that they need to be federally compliant. Otherwise, it's going to be just like Gensler going after Coinbase and Binance for spurious reasons, you know, something about securities law, you know, and probably going to have some red notices out the, on them at some point too when they start fighting their case. We sh this should not be this should not be a thing, especially if we know ahead of time that it's just a free form. This is not even a form that costs any money to fill out at the federal level. It's a free mm -hmm. form you can fill out to make yourself compliant. And you can look backwards six months. There's a there's a forgiveness period, so you can you can file the paperwork on s previous six months worth of transactions to make yourself federally compliant. I don't want to see anybody else go through what I had to go through for this. This is silly. Yeah. So when we're talking about that, there's this massive gulf between what is technically able to be prosecuted, which is kind of where you're at, unfortunately, mm -hmm. and where everyone else is. And why do you think there's that giant gap? Why do you think out of the number, the as one could call it, the target-rich environment for regulators and for law enforcement, or why do you think that there's so few people targeted today? Um, well, number one, uh, I was part of an initial sweep of people mm -hmm. that were targeted for this activity. Uh, the same week that I was raided, there were two other people in the camp uh, with me and probably many more across the country in different facilities that were also uh, raided on that same exact day for 18 USC 1960 violations. Uh, of the two other people in the camp, one of them was Bitcoin, one of them was just a, a vanilla credit card transactor. There's one other noteworthy individual that was uh, uh, indicted and targeted and raided in the same day, same week that I was, uh, John McAfee. Hmm. So, uh, there was clearly a DOJ-wide uh, directive to take down what they viewed as not just high-profile, but high-profile within the scope of where they operated, folks that would create uh, 
uh, an, uh, like some FUD, I guess, like for lack of a better effect. word. Yeah, have a chilling effect on on the industry for sure. Um, because as we see now, the choke point 2.0 going on, if you chill what's happening in the OTC markets, then people are going to go, oh, well, you know, I'll go back to Coinbase and Binance and Cash App because at least that's safe. And now they're now they have everybody over here. And that's an easier thing for them to clamp down on because these guys are trying to be regulatory compliant. They're trying mm -hmm. to file paperwork on every single thing. It's a and, honey pot. You know, exactly. It's exactly what it is. It's to, it's it's you can't choke point something if you've got all these peer to peer transactions going on, but you can if they're going through like three banks. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So on a greater kind of perspective, right? Uh, obviously, early days crypto people, which is you know, there's few of us around, right? Who we all kind of had a, a little bit of a, a expectation that this is this is like a this is a tool to potentially resist centralized authority in some kind of a way, like hypothetically, that this yeah. is this is good stuff for that that purpose, and then always expecting some sort of a crackdown or something, and and then there's also the of course the Silk Road, and then Ross Ulbricht, which but you know of course I. Uh, are probably repping a free Ross shirt today. Nice. Um, that whole thing is like it was people's minds of like, they're going to fight us like right away. This is going to be in, an ugly chapter in our history. And then at some point we're going to get over to the, the golden era of, you know, financial self-sovereignty. But there's been this giant, um, I guess it's very, the, with the notable exception of people that you've, you've mentioned and as well as yourself, there's been very little up until the last couple of years done by regulators, legislators, and stuff like that to really clamp down on cryptocurrency. They just kind of had their been sitting on their hands for many years, uh, something I did not expect personally. And then now they're starting to wake up and do some things. Why do you think it's been that long? I mean... If anybody anybody that's been on Bitcoin talk forums or r slash Bitcoin, they recognize the quote, first they ignore you, then they mock you, mm -hmm. and then they fight you. Uh, we've just been in those first two phases for, you know, the golden years. Um, unfortunately, what had that has bred, because uh, I'm, 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 I'm a, probably a rare person for maybe this audience, the audience of Ian and, and, and mm -hmm. folks that uh, circulate. But actually, you know, you know, I are pretty much aligned on this stuff. I, I'm a guy that plays in the Ethereum ecosystem, even though I was a Bitcoin guy. Yeah. And, uh, and I, I, I'm agnostic as long as it's not a true shit coin. You know, I, I like <laughs> to play around with new technology. That's my thing. So, uh, but what that has certainly bred this golden era of, of uh, being mocked and ignored is, uh, a bunch of fintech guys that infiltrated the the world of Ethereum that weren't really true cypherpunks that mm -hmm. said, "Oh yeah, CBDCs are cool. Let's be all compliant. You know, we'll just be the new thing. We'll 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 work with governments." And uh, they didn't necessarily um, build things as decentralized as they needed to be, you know. And they didn't really kind of build in that culture of uh, you got to wait. The, the the other shoe will drop. Like that wasn't an expectation for most of the last seven years of what I've seen emerge in the crypto ecosystem. Um, so yeah, I think that's that's really. I, I'm sorry. What was the question? I got off on a different tangent there, but I'm not sure I'm well, answering your question. Keep, but that's kind of the vibe of the show. 
keep going on the tangent because I, I like what I'm hearing so far. Well, yeah, I mean, so I mean, I think that's part of the problem, though. I think mm-hmm. that's part of the problem. So I, I, the research that I did on my case, uh, I think I'm coming back to the actual question here. Why is it not? Why has there not been a lot of prosecutions aside from the being ignored mm-hmm. and mocked? Um, is uh, regulators didn't really even know how to come at it. And I mean, I've done consulting for for a lot of different government organizations and government adjacent organizations over my career, uh, FDIC. I've done work for, uh, during the ICO years, I had to interface with the sec a lot more than I ever wanted to. I've spent probably like $6 million on sec lawyers over my lifetime. Oof. Completely wasted money, of course. <laughs> completely wasted money. Um, the, uh, it's, but like these up until, up until uh, I would say the era of Gensler forward, mm-hmm. uh, you could honestly say that their ham-fisted approach to crypto just truly came from a place of ignorance. I think the Gensler era marks a period of time, and the and the and the era where and under which I was prosecuted. So the you know the the new the, era, the last couple the last couple of years of Trump, it marks an era of sophistication and uh, malevolence like mm. they realize that um while it is not currently a threat comparatively to the rest of the ecosystem like you know it's ha- what's the size of the you know global gdp versus you know the the almost almost two trillion dollars in crypto right it's not a threat but the genie is out of the bottle the toothpaste is out of the tube so they've got to do something and so they start this you know this this 3d chess garbage that they've been doing for the last four years um to uh you know pen everybody in and and shut it down the best way they know how i don't think they're going to be successful i think this is uh the wrong approach but it's not unlike government to do this anytime innovation and disruption occurs yeah i guess kind of uh we saw that with the uber whole situation when they just right. had no idea how to do with that started cracking down, didn't really work, and then they figured out a compromise that both parties could be satisfied with. And unfortunately, with this negotiation phase between the people and their rulers, there's people that fall through the cracks in in really bad ways, and it's kind of unfortunate. Um, Where do you see the... You mentioned about, obviously, right now they're trying to corral people into centralized honeypots so that they can then make sure to either shut those down or um, otherwise just make sure they control the flow in and out of, of the crypto world entirely. Uh, other than that, where do you see, I guess, regulations cropping up over the next five to 10 years in, especially the US and like the developing world, the developed world? I mean, the danger zones uh, have to do, in my opinion, with how the law is going to start treating DAOs Obviously, securities law is a big issue, uh, but that's completely led by it's a one man crusade. Unfortunately, it's a very powerful one man. I mean, mm-hmm. once once Gensler Gensler finds himself out of power, I think the the uh, quixotic crusade against crypto as a security will will die off because there's so many people around him in that organization that disagree with him. Mm-hmm. Um, so the bigger issues to me are how will DAOs be treated. Uh, from a legal perspective, that's a huge vulnerability because the prevailing legal opinion right now 
is if you're a DAO and you don't have some sort of uh, corporate shell around your DAO, you're going to be treated as a limited partnership, which means every individual token holder can be sued or held liable for any uh, uh, missteps of the organization as a whole. That's a, that's a huge problem, um, a huge vulnerability. And it's not solved by creating a corporate shell, in my opinion, because that just gives the foot, uh, the government a footprint to attack, you know. Um, so, uh, uh, of course, there's smart legal minds that will disagree with me on that point, but that's probably a point for another time. Yeah, that's a major issue, though. Uh, and honestly, uh, either we need to. Uh, there needs to either be regulation and, and, and legislation around that, or uh, we need to innovate past it. And uh, there's a lot of interesting organizations uh, that, in my at least in my field of vision, like Lunar DAO, that uh, and uh, LexPunk uh, DAO, that are trying to create uh, tools and propagate the usage of existing tools that will give. DAO members and crypto members back their anonymity because ultimately mm. that is the solution. They can't prosecute what they can't find. Yeah. Um, uh, the big lesson of being in the BOP, and mm -hmm. you can also say perhaps is uh, even the lesson of being subject to the DOJ, is uh, it's not don't break the law. <laughs> the average individual creates uh, commits three felonies a day. You yeah. can go to prison for 10 years for any, I, I promise you, you can go to prison for 10 years for something you did today. I don't know what it is, but you could, you did it. Um, no, the, the, the lesson is don't bring heat down on yourself when you're in prison. You know, if you keep your nose too clean, the guards will target you, hmm. uh, because they're doing their hustles just like the inmates are doing their hustles. So you've got to be a little bit dirty to survive in prison but they don't want you doing egregiously illegal things. They just want you to, to, they just want to know, they want you doing things they know they can get you on at any point. So you stay subject to their rule. And, uh, that's how that system is engineered. So what they, what the rule is, what you learn is don't bring heat down on those you're around. Don't bring heat down on the facility you're in. Don't bring heat down on the people that you run with. Don't bring heat down on the people that you have to bunk up with. DOJ has the same thing. You're committing three felonies a day. You can go to prison for 10 years for something you did today. Don't bring heat down on yourself. Fortunately for us, we know how to use crypto and privacy tools. And that's for, for those of us who haven't been doxxed by a federal, uh, a, a federal uh, uh, indictment or a federal prosecution, uh, we, can, we can try not to bring heat down on ourselves by remaining anonymous and remaining pseudonymous as much as possible. Yeah. How did you bring heat on yourself that you couldn't see? I know you mentioned being outspoken a little bit, but I've always regarded myself as a crypto anarchist and I've never shied away from that term, even though it's probably even during the, especially during the Trump years, anarchist is not a popular word uh, because he, he uh, very famously uh, termed a lot of the people that he disagreed with as anarchists, even though it was a misapplication of the term. Mm -hmm. But that triggered uh, a lot of research and activity within the DOJ to go after people that term themselves as anarchists. So that was probably mistake number one. Mistake number two was doing business as an OTC trader under the same name that I podcasted under. 
Mm. Uh, and trying to transfer that reputation into the reputation of being a, a, a an OTC trader, uh, it would have been smarter for me to OTC trade under a completely anonymous name if I was going to do so, because uh, I, I honestly think a big part of it was the fact that Doctor Bitcoin sounds really good as a as part of a headline, like mm. you know the guy who who brought the case against me uh, named Sid Modi. Uh, he left the DO, he left the AUSA's office two weeks before my sentencing to go join a big law firm, presumably to go lobby for crypto, based off of my case and two others. Mm. It's strictly about career advancement for him. Of course. Yeah. So and and you know, I'm not saying I'm famous. Most of your audience has probably never heard of me. I'm maybe regionally famous in the crypto in crypto uh, circles here in, in Texas, but when you put Dr. Bitcoin in a headline, people are like, oh, I, I think I've heard of that guy. It sounds familiar, at least, you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, that, that's what they thought there at the AUSA's office. Like, oh, yeah, we're going to go after this guy. It's going to make a great headline. Yeah, so like a publicly known, maybe micro-celebrity who happened to be involved in this easy-to-prosecute domain. So it's, that was the deadly combination. Right. Well, and, 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 the, and the bigger thing, and this is, uh, this is specific to my case, but it's also generally applicable the way they get you. Because it sounds like, okay, Mark, why didn't you fight this thing, right? Mm-hmm. I've, I've actually, that was like the most common response that I got from like real crypto degens in the comments of that thread that you noticed me off of. It's like, look, this seems like a layup, right? Mm-hmm. Fight this thing. And, uh, you know, money is speech, right? You should be able to have free speech, ones and zeros. So the way they strong-armed me was they threatened a conspiracy case uh, with the crimes of not just uh, the the Nigerian, not just the woman that I transacted with, but the Nigerian that she transacted with, and my wife, who just so happened to be on my bank account and had mm. committed no other crime than being married to me. And so they said, not only are we going to come after you with conspiracy on these charges that maybe you didn't do, did or didn't do, but we think we can make the case of, but we're also going to go after your wife. Conspiracy, that's easy 20 years. And you don't win that. Mm-hmm. I, was in, I was in the BOP with lots of guys. I was in BOP with a guy, I won't, I won't mention his name went in when he was, I mean, it's a tragic story, 17 years old on a weed conspiracy case. He was in his late 40s on his last year of his sentence. They stole his wow. entire life from him because he decided to fight it. You just don't win against the BOP. Mm-hmm. They don't win against the DOJ. So uh, they basically, you know, coerced me into taking a deal as they do with just about everybody that goes through the system. Yeah. I mean, I guess there is, for all the grimness in your particular case, there's a, a great way of looking at it, which is you're here now. And I remember it didn't seem like that long ago um, when you you first tweeted that you were going going to take a vacation for a while. And so all things considered, that seems like a pretty, it's, it's a it's terrible deal but it's a good deal compared to the one you could have gotten, I guess. Oh, for sure. Yeah, no, I mean, it. I hate to, I hate to say I'm lucky, but I am lucky. I'm lucky that I, I found Bitcoin in 2011, and I'm lucky that I was able to shield my assets. I'm lucky that the, 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 the DOJ didn't want to come after my assets uh, mm-hmm. because they very often like to take all the money away from 
the people they go after. And, and fortunately for me, there were no aggrieved parties in my case, so they couldn't make a case for restitution. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, it could have been much worse. I was surrounded by a ton of hard luck cases uh, mm-hmm. at the camp there. Yeah, so moving forward, obviously, uh, how much improvement do you think can be done at the state level and how much do you think needs to be done by like actual federal reform? Um, I think that we are as a, um, as a, as a lobby, uh, or as a, as a, as a culture, uh, uh, somewhat lucky that there are some, uh, some crypto, some people that are fond of crypto in our uh, state legislatures and at the, at the federal level as well. Mm-hmm. Um, anytime one of these guys offers up like Loomis or, or uh, uh, any of the other ones offers up a, a bill that is supportive of our industry, even if it is, you know, even if it's about ripple, we mm-hmm. should, we should apply as much pressure as possible because uh, you know, we, we, you know, we, we should be in solidarity all of us crypto people we are about to be you know a persecuted group of people not about to be we are a persecuted group of people right now we need to recognize that so anything that helps any one of us helps all of us uh you know ripple winning its case i mean you i'm on the record like you can look at my videos i'm on the record talking crap about ripple so i'm not a ripple fan but anything even ripple winning its case right now is good for crypto Uh, very good for crypto Mm-hmm. Uh, same thing. I mean, you know, we just saw what happened with library, which is, you know, another good friend of mine. Yeah. 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 So, uh, there's a, there's a lot that can be done. We need to apply pressure in all the ways that are traditionally viable, uh, for applying pressure to our elected officials, uh, because the, the bureaucrats are accountable to nobody. And the only way to plug these bureaucratic loopholes that put me and people like me away is to apply pressure to have laws specifically plug those holes and the other way is to build and that's what i'm doing and i don't want to advertise a ton of the stuff that i'm involved in just because i learned my lesson (laughs) but uh i am i am working very hard to uh you know advocate within the communities that i'm i'm a part of in crypto to build things that will you know uh help us as a group you know help us uh have support um, help us have legal defense, uh, and, uh, hopefully make some changes to the systems and, uh, ultimately long-term replace the systems. Cause that's the goal of this whole thing anyway, is, is building viable, uh, governance rails that make us less dependent on the state. Yeah. I mean, that's something I could definitely get behind now. How much do you think the economic pressure elements are going to play into um, the whole space moving forward. So for example, there was probably a lot of people in Congress and the Senate and et cetera, who have crypto bags and who have, you know, invested. There's a lot of rich people in their States, constituents that are putting pressure on them, but also just the fact that crypto is so easy to do anywhere in the world that so much, especially with the, the kind of um, the rise of the, expansion of bricks and the the petrodollars kind of decline there's a lot of like booming opportunity outside of the u.s and losing power i mean obviously the the ideal for i guess the state's power would be to 
have the dollar remain on top and the U.S. remain on top. Unfortunately, it doesn't seem like those two things are going to happen, for at least unfortunately for them. So all this outside pressure of like, look at all this money you and your constituents are going to be losing out on if you don't make crypto friendly in the U.S. Do you think that's going to play a significant role or are you a little bit more pessimistic on that? I am trying not to be pessimistic. Hmm. I'll preface everything I say with that. I think that the government is going to have to, the state as we know it, is going to have to be slapped a lot harder by reality mm-hmm. before it makes that switch. Uh, if you look at what the moves that they are telegraphing right now, they are uh, scrambling, but more or less uh, in complete denial about the reality of the BRICS thing and the, and the reality of Saudi Arabia and Iran going off of the petrodollar as well. I mean, that's the whole game right there. Mm-hmm. Um, now, the the way that the United States stays on top and their delusion doesn't become reality is if both of these efforts are technical failures um which is a very real possibility because the united states is not ready to launch fed now um i mean i haven't talked to three uh, months from now they're saying (laughs) i mean the last time i i gave a speech at a federal reserve event was in 2019 uh and they could barely spell blockchain they were trying to learn but they didn't and but they were they were not in any position to create anything re- closely resembling a public ledger at that point and they uh um none of the none of the technologies are i mean at best they're going to be able to create a, a sql database that that does something close to uh, some sort of digital currency but you know they've got so much ground to make up. I just don't see it happening by summertime. And that's what, the, that's what they're trying to announce is this fed now thing as a response to bricks. It's a pipe dream. Mm. So, um, I think their best bet is not launching fed. Now their best bet is somehow sabotaging bricks. Um, and then if, and when any of that fails, that's when they're going to start to turn their lonely eyes to crypto. Um, and, Fortunately for them, the United States is in a great position. I think that report just came out that we have like three x or four x the mining power for Bitcoin in the United States versus what exists in Russia in terms of megawattage applied to mining. Uh, that's a great start. Um, there, uh, there was a Pentagon report that came out uh, maybe a week or two ago from uh, uh, some from from a general research team that uh, talked about. Uh, investing in mining as a uh, defensive asset against uh, uh, monetary infrastructure attacks. Mm. Um, so, like, there are little bright spots of hope. Uh, not to mention, like, you know, Emmer and Loomis and people in in, in the the halls of of, of the legislature that uh, that are, you know, bag holders and and standard bearers. So there's some bright spots of hope, but unfortunately, it's surrounded right now by a dark cloud of not just anti-crypto sentiment, but anti-innovation sentiment. I mean, you've got Senator Warren, who's supposedly a, a, a banking reformer, running on, running on the slogan, I am assembling an anti-crypto army, and reasonably thinking that that might actually win her some votes. Well. We'll see how that turns out. I guess that's a big litmus test of exactly. where, where we're at in the next you know, few years. The fact that she thinks it can work is a troubling development. 
whether it actually does work is 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 going to be the litmus test for sure. Yeah, it, it's in that particular case that might be uh, a bit of nuance with that because she might just feel extremely safe and be running on that platform as a way of getting a lot of banking donations and things like that, just raising money and losing some votes, but not nearly enough votes to actually cost her an election. Yeah, yeah. And it's hard for an incumbent to lose, but it's also couched in this uh, general populist sentiment that's anti-crypto, anti-AI for, you know, entirely predictable reasons if you look at the cycles. But mm -hmm. it's it's just there's a there's a there's a confluence of things that are happening that is affecting the public perception of the entire innovation sector. You got SVB, SVB Bank collapsing, which is unfortunate that it was svb first because it's really every bank that finds himself in that situation it's just they went down first because they're the biggest uh you've got san francisco which was once a cradle of innovation now has more crime per square mile than any other part of the united states so innovation is fleeing its borders and we don't have a beacon on the hill that represents you know american ingenuity <laughs> you're not uh, an you've austin got maximalist are you <laughs> No, not at all. I'm in Dallas, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, we've also got uh, uh, you got this anti-AI uh, backlash, which to me is genetically, mimetically the same thing as uh, you know this crypto and anti-NFT, anti-DeFi backlash that was nurtured over the uh, the boom, you know the the, the bull cycle uh, led by you know all those people that just made their entire personality is I hate crypto, you know, uh, I won't mention their names to elevate them, but we all know who I'm talking about. Mm, absolutely. Well, this has been quite the enlightening chat. I hope people really, um, learn a whole lot from it. Uh, you mentioned there's a lot of stuff you're working on that you don't want to shell, but what do you want to shell? Maybe your Twitter account? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, like I'm always shooting my mouth off on Twitter, so I'm at risen there. Um, I am working here uh, at this amazing studio. Uh, it's called Harper Belmont. Uh, I, my background is in media, so if I can't do crypto, I'm going to do media, and I'm probably going to talk about crypto here anyway. So, uh, but it's a, a, a great podcast studio that does a lot of you know live event coverage and you know all the cool TikToks and the reels and all types of things that podcasts sort of filter down into. And then uh, you know, you know, I'm I'm involved in tons of little DAOs and projects and efforts all over the internet. So wherever I'm, whatever I'm talking about on Twitter is probably what I'm involved in. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, thanks very much for being on, and hope you have a good one. Hey, thank you.